And as you take your seat, do take out your Bible. It's always good to have God's Word in front of you rather than just on a on the screen or maybe even on a tablet or something. I like particularly having a Bible open in front of me. So open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 21, those verses we read just a moment ago. 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 15. And then also, if you want to kind of get ahead, put a finger in Psalm 56 and also in Psalm 34. We're going to be in those two Psalms as well today as they correspond with this passage of Scripture here this morning. And as you turn in your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to think of something that you're afraid of. What causes you fear? Maybe it's spiders or heights or something else of that nature. Maybe you have a phobia or something you don't like, or maybe you have something maybe a little more serious of, I'm afraid I won't be able to pay the bills next month, or I'm afraid of some diagnosis that I might have, or something that could happen to me in the future. Just get a, uh, something in your mind of a fear that you have, because that's one, something we're going to be focusing on today as it involves the life of David. Fear. What are we afraid of, and how do we deal with those fears? Now, one of the things David had to be afraid of was that someone was going to kill him uh, at any moment, every day. And as we said last year, for about a 10-year period of his life, he had people chasing after him, trying to kill him. That's what David was afraid of. Now, I would say it's probably safe to say that you and I don't have that kind of fear. I think most of us, I would hope, don't have people coming after us trying to kill us. Uh, But that is something that was very real in David's life because no matter where he goes, there's someone trying to actively kill him. Do you remember what we talked about last week? David went to the, the high priest, Ahimelech, and he got some food and a sword. And as a result, Saul had not only Ahimelech and his entire family murdered, but he had everyone who lived in the city of Nob murdered as well. And so this fight or flight reflex kind of triggers in David's brain, and he chooses flight. He is going to get out of there. So he decides to run away from Saul. But run away to where? Where can he go that one of the most powerful men in the world can't find him? I mean, especially in Israel. If you know anything about the geography of Israel, it's not a very large piece of land. So eventually, someone is going to let some word slip, and Saul's going to find David and kill him. It's just a matter of time. So David decides to leave Israel altogether, and that's where we pick it up in verse 10 of uh, 1 Samuel 21. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, have you ever heard the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? That's what David is thinking about here, because the city of Gath is located in Philistia, the home country of the Philistines. The country of the Philistines bordered ancient Israel to the southwest, and the two countries actually shared quite a lot of borderland. And this is why you read so much in the Bible about Israel going to war with the Philistines. In fact, all through the book of 1 Samuel, the thorn in Israel's side has been the Philistines. If you go back to the opening chapters, you read about the Philistines capturing the Ark of the Covenant and stealing it, right? They're always battling. They're unhappy neighbors who raided and killed each other constantly. And the city of Gath was the capital city of Philistia. There were actually five main Philistine cities, and each city had its own king. And this Achish was the king of Gath. 
But of the five cities, it's thought that Gath was kind of the primary hub of the Philistine nation. It was the most influential and powerful of the five cities. And at the present time, the Israelites were pretty much, again, in constant war or battle with the Philistines. So I think David is thinking here, Saul is my enemy. The Philistines are Saul's enemy. So maybe I can find refuge among the Philistines. Maybe I can just kind of blend in there and get lost. So consider for for a minute the, the reality that David feels safer around the Philistines than he does in his own country with his own countrymen. Maybe you, if some of you are in a situation like that, where people who should be your most trusted companions have all of a sudden turned antagonistic toward you. Things have gotten very bad for David to the extent that he's trying to find refuge with Israel's enemies. But it turns out that David's reputation precedes him. If you look at verse 11, it says that the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? So when David gets to Gath, he's not fooling anybody. He's not going to be able to blend in. In fact, he sticks out like a sore thumb. They say, is not this David the king of the land? Now that's interesting, because technically David isn't the king of the land. Saul is the king. But effectively, David is the king. In other words, Saul is just a figurehead. Everyone knows that David is the true king. He is the true warrior to be reckoned with. And the Philistines know this because they say that David has slain ten thousands. <laughs> you know who most of those ten thousands were, if not all of those ten thousands? Philistines. And do you know who one of those ten thousands was? There's a very famous citizen of Gath that we actually read about earlier in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 17, a very famous nine-and-a-half-foot-tall citizen of the, of the city of Gath named Goliath. In fact, the Bible refers to him as Goliath of the city of Gath. So yeah, David's reputation precedes him. Not only has he slayed tens of thousands of Philistines, but he also took out Goliath, the pride of Gath. So not only is David public enemy number one in Israel, but he is in Gath too. And I'm sure David was at the top of their most wanted list. And now here he is in the flesh. So the servants of the king intend to bring David to the king so that he might face justice. I'm sure they were planning to put him to death, to execute him. Now how do you think David felt about that? Well, it tells us in verse 12. It says, David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. As well he should be, right? I mean, David doesn't have a friend in the world. He's hated at home and he's hated abroad. No matter where he goes, somebody wants to kill him. What does that feel like? To not have a friend in the world, to be hated at home and hated abroad. And what does it feel like to be constantly thinking that someone is about to kill you? How do you deal with that kind of fear, with that kind of stress and anxiety? And this is where David tells us what that feels like. And you can turn to Psalm 56 now in your Bible. Psalm 56. And when you get there, before you even read the psalm, at the top of the page, you'll notice that it says, To the choir master, 
according to the dove on far-off terebinths, which is the, the tune that they would have sent the psalm to, it says, a miktam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath, in Psalm 56. And first, David tells us what it feels like to not have a friend in the world and to be hated everywhere you go. Verse 1 of Psalm 56, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. What is David feeling here? Like he's being trampled. He's being oppressed because everywhere he goes, there's someone out to get him. And it's all day long. He uses that phrase twice in these first two verses. Do you know what that means? The stress never stops. There's never any relief. It's all day long. There's never a break from people coming after me and attacking me. Skip to verse 5. David says again, all day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. What a life. What an existence. Always feeling like you're being watched. Never feeling like there's relief from the pressure, from the stress. Always having to look over your shoulder because somewhere there's someone trying to get you. Can you imagine living like that? It must have been absolutely miserable. Maybe you can imagine living like that. Maybe you're thinking, oh, Joel, that pretty much sounds like my life right now. So yes, I can imagine living like that because that's basically my life. And if you're thinking that, then you need to hear the rest of this psalm because it shows us how David deals with the pressure and the stress and anxiety of his situation. Now, recall back in 1 Samuel 21, verse 12, it said, it told us that David was very much afraid of the king of Gath because of all this. And now look at verse 3 of Psalm 56. David says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And then if you skip down to verse 10, it says almost the exact same thing. It says again, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? So even though 1 Samuel 21.12 tells us that David was very much afraid of the king of Gath, in Psalm 56, he resolves to not be afraid. Why not? Because, David says, in God I trust. And if I'm trusting in God, then what can flesh do to me? What can man do to me? Now, if we wanted to take kind of a pessimistic approach to answering that question, I think there's a very obvious answer. What can man do to you, David? He can kill you. Man can end you, David. Don't you remember dodging Saul's spears and running away in the middle of the night? Don't you realize that the Philistines are this close to bringing you before the king to be executed? What can man do to you? He can end you. But although that might seem the obvious answer, David implies a better one. Because he asks the question, what can man do to me? 
rhetorically. That is, there is an implied answer, and the implied answer to that question in Psalm 56 is nothing. If I am trusting in God, what can man do to me? Nothing. Here's why. First, because God is sovereign over man and nothing happens without his say-so. We saw this very clearly two weeks ago when David or when Saul tried a half a dozen times to kill David and failed each time because God's will is for David to live and to be the king of Israel. But what I think David is more so getting at here is that there is more to his physical human existence than just his body. There's more to him than just the condition of his body, living or dead. We are not just a body. We are a body and a soul. And the dangers of the world and any threat brought upon me by other people or by dangerous circumstances can only affect my body if my trust is in God for the care of my soul. Let me tell you what I mean. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is telling his disciples about all of the challenges that they are going to face as his followers on account of him. He says, in other words, because you follow me, there's going to be some hard times coming for you guys. Here's what he says in Matthew 10, 17. Jesus says, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So what can man do to me? Jesus gives us a list. He can betray me. He can flog me. He can put me on trial. He can deliver me over to death, and he can hate me. That's what man can do to me. But listen, that's it. And I know that sounds strange to say that's it, but man can't do anything else to you than affect your body. This is what Jesus says next in Matthew 10, 28. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, man's reach against your life only goes so far. He can do only so much to you. And the most he can do is take your life. And only if God allows it. But he cannot touch your soul. You don't have to be afraid of people or dangerous circumstances because those things cannot and do not determine your eternal destiny. So Jesus says, instead of being afraid of Achish, the king of Gath, Be afraid of God, because God can destroy both body and soul in hell. Being afraid of men seems foolish in comparison. And here's what David says in Psalm 56, again in verse 10. He says, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? You see, David knows that his soul is secure in the hand of God. What did we sing just this morning? He will hold me fast, right? 
he will hold me fast. Though the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. Though everything in life is coming at me, he holds my soul secure in his hand. So really, what can man do to me even if he takes my life? Nothing. Not a thing. Listen, those whose souls are eternally secure in the hand of God through faith in Christ have this very same assurance that David had. Nothing can touch me. The most that can happen to me is my body dies. But my soul is secure in Christ because I have trusted in him to pay the penalty for my sin and to bring me to the throne of God. And if that account has been settled, then I don't have to be afraid of anything else that might hurt me. All of those things are just blips on the radar screen of eternity. Now, you and I, again, probably don't have people trying to kill us like David did, but we certainly face our own challenges and difficulties. We get sick. We have hard times. I know many of you have even faced some life-threatening situations. I'm not trying to minimize those at all because they are scary. They're afraid. They're, they're frightening. And we are right to be afraid of those things. But when it comes to who we are in Christ, nothing can touch us. Nothing can touch us. And see, like David, those circumstances in our lives can create stress and discomfort for us. And when that stress comes, when those circumstances are bearing down on us and the weight of our lives seems to be crushing us, we should return to Psalm 56 and preach this message to ourselves, just like David did. I trust in the Lord. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's how David dealt with his fear, with his stress, with the pressure of being both Israel's and Philistia's most wanted man. He put his trust in the Lord and he found his consolation in his eternal standing according to God's accounting. And that helped deal with his stress. It helped deal with his fear. So listen, if you struggle with fear and stress and anxiety, remember this truth. If you trust in the Lord, none of those things that cause your fear and stress and anxiety can touch your eternal standing with God if you are in Christ. That is David's hope, and let that be your hope too. So David finds his comfort in God's sovereignty over his eternal destiny. But the story isn't over yet. The Philistines nab David, and they bring him before the king of Gath. So he, I'm sorry, this is back in 1 Samuel 21, now verse 13. It says, So he, that is David, changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David acts crazy in front of the king. He scratches uh, marks into the door with his fingernails. He's drooling down his beard, which as a, a bearded man and somebody whose beard has gotten a little longer, the idea of things in your beard being a mark of insanity is a little off-putting to me because I find that happens to me quite a bit. Um, but the king says... 
look, guys, I've got no shortage of crazy people around here. We're full up. We don't need another one. Get rid of this guy. So they do. (laughs) They kick David out of Gath, and he goes his way unharmed. Now, we're not sure if it's because the king didn't believe that it actually was David, but some other crazy guy, or maybe he just didn't care. Either way, Philistia's most wanted man goes free. Now, what do we make of that? Well, one of the questions I had when I read this was, why didn't the king of Gath just kill David? Well, the answer is because of the hand of God. After all, if it really was David, even a crazy David, you don't need another madman in your house, why not just kill him? And even if the king didn't think it really was David, why not kill him? Ancient Philistines weren't known for their high esteem of the value of human life, so what's wrong with one less crazy person? And if there's even the slightest possibility that this crazy man is David, the man who has slain tens of thousands of Philistines, including Goliath, the pride of Gath, then why not just do away with him? In other words, this king has every reason to just execute David and be done with him, if for no other reason than just cover all of his bases, right? But he doesn't do that. Why not? Well, this is what we learn in Psalm 34. So turn to Psalm 34 now. This is another psalm that David wrote regarding this specific incident. If again, if you look at the top of Psalm 34, it says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, don't get confused by the, the name Abimelech because in 1 Samuel it says the king is named Achish and In Psalm 34, it says Abimelech. Abimelech is just kind of a generic name for a Philistine king, okay? So don't get too confused with that. We are talking about the same stories here. But the point is that David wrote this Psalm 34 as a result of this incident of acting crazy before the king so that he would send him away rather than kill him. And the reason that David finds for why Achish didn't just kill him was that this was the sovereign purpose and intention of God to deliver him. He didn't just get lucky. He didn't just catch the king on a day when he was feeling aloof. Instead, it was the hand of God. Now look specifically at verse 4 of Psalm 34. David says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, compare that to what we've seen about David's fear from these passages we've already looked out today. Remember, David, uh, 1 Samuel 21 says that David was very much afraid of the king of Gath because he thought he was going to be put to death. But what does David say about his fear in Psalm 56? He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So you see, in Psalm 56, David had to kind of correct his thinking because he was very much afraid of the king of Gath, but he came to realize, why am I afraid? What can the king of Gath actually do to me that is outside of God's sovereign plan? Nothing. And even if God allows me to die by his hand, he still holds my soul secure. And now what does David say in Psalm 34, 4? He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. When David had a correct understanding of who God was and his secure standing before God, that took care of the fear problem. 
You see, right thinking about God and his control over David's destiny was the cure for his fear. And I want you to see how David's change in thinking and believing completely and drastically shifts his entire worldview. It totally changes his outlook on life. But there's a condition that he mentions here. To see the deliverance of God, we need to seek the Lord. Because it's only in trusting that God is sovereign and that he holds my salvation in the palm of his hand that I can have the assurance that nothing in this world can touch that. So if you want to be delivered from all your fears, then seek the Lord. Shift your thinking and your believing to trusting that God is in control, to believing beyond the shadow of a doubt that he holds your eternity fast. Do you have that assurance? If you don't, you can. And if you are trusting in Christ and you still struggle with that assurance, you need to preach this to yourself. God holds me fast for all time. In 1 Peter, which we just looked at earlier last year, it says that God is standing by as a watchman, as a guard over your salvation. He's protecting it. Nothing is going to get to you because nothing can get through him. Now, I want to read this whole psalm to you. Psalm 34. I want you to hear the whole thing. And as I read it, get a picture of David in your mind as he has just been captured by the Philistines and they're about to execute him. He's scared to death, but then he gets his thinking right. He says, what can man do to me if I'm trusting God? Nothing. And then he sees God's deliverance. And then Psalm 34 is his response, his right response to what God has done. So I'm going to read this, Psalm 34. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, 
and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Again, what did we sing this morning? A mighty fortress. Our God, a sacred refuge is your name. Your kingdom is unshakable. You see, Psalm 34 is the voice of someone who has gone down into the darkest pit and who has remembered God's sovereign will for his life and who has been lifted up and out of that pit by a sincere trust in God's plans and purposes. And listen, this psalm can be your psalm. You have the same access to God that David did if you are in Christ. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? If you have, you have nothing to fear because God holds your eternal destiny in the palm of his hand. He is guarding it. He is watching over it. He is holding it fast. And nobody, not even Ashish, the king of Gath, can take it from you. So fix your thinking by trusting in God's sovereign will for your life. And then rest in that trust. Let the fear and the stress and the pressures of life melt away, knowing that God is the Lord. And in his word, I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Let's pray. Our Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord, and I ask that you would give us the humility to lay all of our fears, all of our struggles, and all of our pressures and stresses down at your feet. So, Lord, that we might find relief from what life has brought to us. And, Lord, ultimately, that we might find relief for our soul in your sovereign plan, in your sovereign goodness that reigns over us. Lord, so often we're, we're even so unaware of how you have delivered us and how you have provided for us. Lord, we're so ignorant sometimes of your will and everything that you have done. God, open our eyes so that we can see your power and your work in this world and in our lives. And Lord, help us to bring all of our anxieties and cares and concerns and cast them on you with that firm knowledge that you care for us. And Lord, let us find deliverance from our fear and the stress and pressure of life. Lord, in your sovereign plan, in your sovereign hand that is always at work for the good of those you have called to yourself. Lord, I pray specifically this morning for those who are, for whatever reason, lacking assurance, for those who don't know for certain that they belong to you. Lord, if they do belong to you, I ask that you would remove that doubt with certainty, that they would go to the foot of the cross and see that once and for all final sacrifice, paid in full, it is finished, and that they would have the joy of the assurance of their salvation. And Lord, for those who do not belong to you but are also similarly asking that question and who don't know, who don't have that same assurance, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move their hearts and draw them to you, that they would acknowledge the truth of the gospel and believe it so that they could likewise 
cast out their own fears, their fears of judgment and of hell and of anything that this life can offer or bring at them. And Lord, that they might have that ultimate satisfaction and assurance of knowing you. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to move in these ways this morning and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.